Blog Talk Radio. Radio, and I'm Marcia Joyner, host of Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit and our producer, Marty Oakley. They provide us a forum to warn others about the reality of what hospice has become. I wish I wasn't being a host on a show that talks about such a negative, horrible, and sad topic. I would much rather talk about fun things, but knowing what I now know after witnessing my own mother's hastened death, I cannot make light of the topic, nor can I sit by and watch it happen to other unsuspecting people without doing my best to warn you of the dangers. If you have listened to my programs previously, then much of what I say may be redundant, and I appreciate you joining us to support the cause, our guest, and me. But if you are a first-time listener and have never experienced losing someone to toxic drugs, starvation, and dehydration, then please listen to what is said here tonight and do your own research before trusting hospice. I have absolutely nothing to gain by doing these shows other than to provide my as well as others' experience in hopes of saving your loved one's life or yours. It is important that you know the facts before you are caught in a bad situation, as thousands of us were. For me, this is extremely personal. I became involved being an elder advocate after my mom was literally murdered in the summer of 2017 in a Georgia hospice facility under the guise of compassionate hospice care. And that is what we're going to talk about. I'd like to briefly describe some events so you can see the manipulations that hospice uses to coerce you into signing up for your own good. Probably like you, I had always heard such positive things about hospice, My dad was a hospice chaplain for 15 years, and he never witnessed the drugging of patients. So when mom's doctor said she qualified for hospice because she had congestive heart failure, which was being successfully treated, we trusted what he said. The hospice came to the home, and they did a great sales job and said she wouldn't have to go to the doctor's office because a nurse would come to the house, they could bring meals, provide sitter services, give baths, and do light housekeeping. We asked and believed they would do no harm. They said, we won't prolong her life, but we certainly wouldn't hasten her death. Little did we know that the culture of death had become part of hospice, and that is how this all started for me. They did not provide all the services they promised, And there were other issues. But most importantly, this is what happened on June the 9th, 2017, that led to my mom's murder. First, my mom, as many other people, were very clear that she wanted to die in her own home. 
that was stolen from her in the most manipulative and cruel way. The hospice nurse arrived at their home and manipulated them into going to the hospice facility where my dad could get respite care while they took care of mom, and my sister and I drove to Georgia. Mom had always fought the idea of leaving the house, and they knew if they convinced her that it was for dad, she would give in. The next morning, they started giving her morphine, Ativan, along with 50 micrograms of fentanyl. This information was found out after the fact when I received medical records, and the medical records clearly state she said she was afraid of taking morphines. She never wanted to take those drugs. They lied to her and said that the pain meds she was taking for her hip was causing constipation, as if morphine didn't. At the time, we didn't know. We didn't even know she was on morphine. Two days later, the day before they were to go home, they increased the drugs. They doubled the fentanyl to 100 micrograms. By this time, my mom was in a coma state. As stated, there's much more that happened. But the end result was that on June the 20th at 6.20 a.m., with her family around her, she left this world due to drugs, starvation, and dehydration. She wasn't allowed to stay in her home and die a natural death. It was torture for her and us, and I will never forget, if I can save others from this, that is my goal. The medical records revealed so much. So it's important for each person listening to acquire the medical records, and you can do it if your loved one is actively under the care of a facility. You don't have to wait until after it's too late or if they're in a nursing home or hospice, you have the right to access those records. My point is, when my guest comes on and tells you their story, as Debbie does tonight, I've been there and I get the pain, remorse, and regret they feel. You cannot understand the horror of what happens until you experience it, and we don't want you to. And that is why we fight so hard to tell our story and share the sick details with the audience so that maybe one day something will stick and someone will say, enough. There has to be a way to stop this and someone listening can spread the truth and the dam will burst. Continuing to trust hospice and allow them to literally murder our loved ones is what keeps them in business and able to continue this evilness. Hospice used to be a compassionate and wonderful agency that cared for patients and kept them comfortable until God decided to take them home. It was created for someone who was actively dying and couldn't be treated with medications or procedures. It was never meant to drug someone into unconsciousness with toxic drugs until they take their last breath and they die from those drugs starvation, and dehydration. But that's what's happening every day right under our nose. That's why it's called stealth euthanasia. They are culling the elderly and disabled, and all because of money. All hospices aren't evil, but most of them we found out are. Some of them may be pro-life, but you must do your research before you need them. And if somebody has end-stage cancer or liver or kidney disease, they're actively dying, 
and they cannot be treated with drugs or any procedures, and they are in pain, then I believe a minimal dose of morphine or some other pain medication is appropriate if they want it. I don't think anybody should have to be in pain, but hospice is using a one-size-fits-all and is not providing small doses to minimize pain. Oh, no, no, no. They are drugging patients into a coma and hastening their death. My mom might have lived months or years longer had they not drugged her. We'll never know. They do not have the right to play God and end anyone's life. There should be honest conversation about the effects of the drugs, and there should be signed consent. This is another circumstance where knowledge is power. Make these hard decisions now and let your loved one know what you want in writing. Decide who you want to have medical power of attorney and make sure it's someone you trust to do what's best for you and not someone who might want you gone. An excellent website for a sample medical power of attorney and other information is halovoice.org. That's one word, H-A-L-O, voice, V-O-I-C-E, dot org. And today, the criteria to enroll in hospice, I said earlier that you must be actively dying. Well, that's not what it is today. Today almost includes anyone for anything. People who have illnesses that are being treated successfully, or if you go to the hospital three times a year, you get flagged, or you have difficulty dressing, feeding yourself, or if you become incontinent. And here's a new one, failure to thrive. So you stop eating. You need to go to hospice then? Don't take my word for it. Look it up at vitus.com. And a urinary tract infection can cause many of the symptoms that I just mentioned, but you may or may not be tested because they want to enroll you in hospice. And remember, if you are in hospice, they don't treat anything because it's considered aggressive medical treatment. You aren't even allowed to go to the hospital for an emergency unless you unenroll. Hospice staff are trained how to manipulate unsuspecting people into believing that they want to help and provide compassionate care, and they'll tell you whatever you want to hear, as they did with my mom. They say, we'll send a nurse to your home. We'll do sitter services so the person can leave and go to the grocery store, bring meals, light housekeeping. Yes, yes, we do all this. And you can continue to take your normal meds. But as many of our guests can attest to, that is not what happened. But it sounds promising, and it's free, because Medicare or Medicaid will pay for it. But you know nothing in life is free, and neither is this. You paid your entire life to be taken care of in your older years. If you recall, it was a contract between you and the government and now you are reaping those benefits, but are you going to? Hospice is the beginning of the end, whether you are dying or not, because your death will be hastened. And when you ask hospice staff about what they initially told you they were going to do, someone may say, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't provide those services. I didn't say that. I don't know who you spoke to. 
you have outlived your usefulness and you become a burden and you will drain money from Medicare and Medicaid, but nobody's going to tell you that. Michelle Young-Doers is a respiratory therapist and worked for hospice and saw the quotas. Yes, they have quotas. And she witnessed the poor treatment of hospice and hospital staff firsthand, or patients firsthand. She wrote a book titled Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. And it is truly dark and evil. It exposes what hospice is all about and more than just the death culture. Her refusal to accept this cruel, inhumane treatment cost her her job, but not her soul. I encourage you to check this book out for yourself as it's very informative and she shares real-life stories about patients and what she encountered with so-called compassionate care. So after your loved one is enrolled, in many cases they start to decline rapidly and they suddenly sleep all the time, they stop eating, drinking, and talking. They may moan, they try to get out of bed, but they can't. And you may ask what happened the staff, the nurse, will hand you a pamphlet, and it shows the same signs that your loved one is exhibiting, and they say it's a dying process. So you think they're right. But you say it happens so quick, and you're sad, but we're conditioned to believe them. We're taught that they are compassionate. They're not. They started the death cocktail, which emulates the dying symptoms, and now your loved one is dying but not from a disease. You may have heard some of the drugs, and I'll just go over this briefly. Morphine, Haldol, Ativan, Seroquel, Fentanyl are some. There are others. They have basically the same side effects, and so when you add them together, it increases those side effects. Depressed breathing, dizziness, nausea, altered mood, anxiety, hallucinations, And when you start to see these symptoms, it becomes easy for the nurse to say, they're anxious, so we'll give them some Ativan. They're combative, we'll give them Haldol or Seroquel. Or they're in pain, or they're having a hard time breathing, we'll give them just a whisper of morphine. The fact is, they bold-faced lie. They cause the anxiety, they cause the depressed breathing, They cause any combativeness because sometimes the patient suspects or knows something's wrong and they want to get out of their clutches. Does any of this sound familiar to any experience that anybody listening has had? Because we have been conditioned to believe hospice is compassionate, we accept. If something seems off, trust your instincts and get them out. Stop them from drugging call for help, call for backup. You must be tough, and if you can't be tough, get somebody in there who can. Halovoice.org that I mentioned earlier has a helpline. It's 1-888-221-HALO or 4256. Every state has a Right to Life group. Google your state now so you have the information. Life Legal Defense Foundation has access to pro-life attorneys throughout the United States. Contact them if you're trying to get your loved one out of facility and you are encountering resistance. 
And if you're already familiar with what I'm talking about, Halo Voice can always use volunteers to help save others and answer those calls at that number that I gave you. They will provide training and answers to questions and that you also have access to knowledgeable people. Remember this, if you gave a young, healthy person the drugs our loved ones were given in the amounts, combination, timing, and duration, that person would die, but not from a disease, but from the drugs, starvation, and dehydration. It's premeditated murder. And it's going to get worse because the baby boomers are coming up and they need a place to put the baby boomers to get rid of them. They're going to suck the resources and they cannot allow that to happen. Many of the elderly people who recently died from the China virus in the nursing home, hospice was called in to help because they are familiar with the dying process. I have no doubt that many of the people that died would have the same toxic drugs in their system, but they didn't do toxicology reports because they don't know what we know. There's a group called Voices for Seniors that has a lot of members that are losing loved ones in the nursing homes. Another Facebook group called Murdered by Hospice. Why would such a group exist if so many people were not experiencing their loved ones being murdered by hospice. Earlier this week, I saw a disturbing post in a hospice nurse's Facebook page. Here's the gist of the post. We need suggestions. We have a man on 8 milligrams dialidid. I'm sure I mispronounced that. Every hour for two weeks, and his body is literally rotting, and he will not pass away. So other nurses suggest how to make this man die. Turn off his pacemaker. Give him phenobarbital to slow the brain and help increase the effect to the pain meds. Hook up a fentanyl IV. Use Versid, PCA. Warm bath, bed bath. Reposition him. Cool down the room. Turn him on his left side, which is called the terminal turn. Open a window. Some of the nurses appeared to show compassion and say, let him transition in peace, and don't turn him, let him go his way. But these are discussions in a public place. You can imagine what they say amongst themselves in private. They all knew what was happening. They are killing this man. If he has been hanging on for two weeks and he is fighting to live, what right do they have to torture him and kill him? How much longer could he have lived without their evil interference? It is repulsive, and to know that this happened to my mom and thousands, probably millions of people, is sickening. It should sicken you, too. Please do not disregard our warnings. That is what this show is about, trying to warn people, trying to save a life one at a time. As our vulnerable and innocent loved ones are taken from us in the dead of night under the guise of hospice, compassionate care, the government stands by and does nothing to stop these murders. Where is justice? Tonight, we will discuss another death by toxic drug cocktail, starvation, and dehydration. Our guest is Debbie Blatchford who will tell us how her mom, Maud Frost, whose death was hastened this year on February the 20th. 
Debbie, again, I'm so sorry for your loss, and I appreciate you coming on to tell us what happened to your mom in the hopes that her story may shed light for someone else and they will be able to save their loved one before it's too late. I know how hard it is for you to talk about this, so if you'll start and just take your time, if you could tell us a little bit about your mom to begin with. Hi, my name is Debbie Blatchard, and my mother's name was Maud Frost. Um, my mom's story, I'm going to start where she was diagnosed with, in uh, November 2017, she had got a diagnosis of Hodgkin's, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, she lived. She resided in Tennessee at that time. She had went back there from Michigan and retired to her uh, little mountain town that she was from. She worked in Michigan. She came here in the 50s um, seeking a better life um, because of jobs. So well, over the course of from November until um, in February of 2018, my mother had had... Um, I had encouraged the chemo treatments, too, because she was just going to kind of let uh, it take its course, and I had encouraged her to have chemo, and she had went and had three chemo treatments at that time. Um, my sibling and I had decided that we would take five weeks. My sibling was down there. She would take five weeks, and I would take five weeks to be with my mom. So by the time that I got down there in early February, my mom had had three chemo treatments, and she had begun to get weak and um, sick, feeling. Um, I think a lot of, looking back, maybe some of her ner- her nerves were upset too and maybe not eating well. But anyway, she did get weak, and she was having trouble. My mom was a very uh, active lady. She was an active, uh, she was uh, a walking uh, type person. I mean, miles and miles up mountains. I mean, my mom could walk, um, and she so she was very active, and she was still active at this time, and she was in her 80s. So, um, and my mother did work until she was like I I think it was late 70s, early 80s. She worked um, as a caregiver, taking care of people. But anyway, um, so into that. Um, she had the chemo, and then we ended up in the ER because she was having, um, she was dehydrated and having some problems. And the doctor took me back in the back room, and he said, you know, out of a courtesy, he said, if this was my mother, I would not have any more chemo treatments on her because this tumor has shrunk significantly. And he said, it's a very slow-growing cancer, and it's a very, so I don't see where you would have to continue the chemo. Well, I was scared to death of the chemo by that time, but what I could see that was happening, and I didn't want her to have any more on my watch anyway. So we continue on, and my mom um, began to get weak because she was dehydrated and not eating properly, and um, she fell in the night. And anyway, we had took her to the hospital, and she had, they said that at that time they didn't want to put her in because there was a bunch of flu in February, but they did. Um, go ahead and put her in the second time I took her because they said she might have a touch of pneumonia. And um, so anyway, they had put her in the hospital. And then they uh, had put her, after the hospital, she spent five days in the hospital in Tennessee, she went to a nursing home for rehab. And my mom was um, very 
gung-ho about going to do her rehab. I mean, I can remember times she was just seemed so weak that she couldn't do anything, but she'd do there for rehab. She actually had won awards in rehab, like first award for, uh, I'm not sure what right now, but like by being wanting to do this so bad. She just wanted to succeed and wanted to live. So um, She wanted to get better. Right, right. And she, my mom, I told her as long, and I had told her later on, I'll bring that up about if you want, as long as you want to live, I'm going to fight for you to live. So anyway, we went into, and I thought, we, you know, we were kind of at the end of the road there, but um, she came back. She bounced right back. So then in April of um, in April of 2018, um, she was weak, you know, being in her 80s. So my sister was down there at that time, and she had decided that, you know, we had kind of all decided that my mom needed to move to Michigan against her will, basically, because we couldn't live down there, and we didn't have anybody to take you know, to check in on her and stuff. So we brought mm-hmm. her back to Michigan, and um, I wish I had a redo of that, and I, would, I wouldn't have partaken in that. But anyway, so in, my mom hadn't even been here in Michigan at my sister's house for a month, and she fell in May. And it was right before um, the Friday, I think it was right before Mother's Day, and my mom broke her hip. And so anyway, again, here we go, we're off to the nursing home and off to rehab again. So my mom, then again in Michigan in the rehab, in the nursing home, she won awards for trying and doing her best. Like she won a number one award. Um, I still have the pictures of her with a ribbon in her hand, and she was so proud of it. So um, let's just continue on. My mom was on a lot of medications. My mom didn't like medicine, okay, and it bothered her the whole time she was on these drugs because she didn't know what she was on, and by that time she's confused and she can't take her own pills. She can't comprehend that. It's too confusing because there's so many of them. And a lot of these things seem to be narcotics. Like my mom had IBS real bad, and um, for the people that don't know, that's irritable bowel syndrome, and where she would actually had diarrhea all the time. So a lot of these drugs even were uh, like there was a Lamotil, and it was a narcotic uh, base. I am very much against narcotics, and um, I'm not against them if you need them, but I don't believe in uh elderly people taking a bunch of I've seen things that happen mm-hmm. uh, anyway um, so I'm going to continue on because my mom was put on what's called Meridol. My mom had already set, had a problem with her appetite after this um, that's the main thing I worried about is mom going to like the food is she going to eat you know I mean it was like it was so bad that you did that's what you had to worry about with her so Anyway, she was put on Meridol. For those of you that don't know it, it's a synthetic marijuana, okay? She's 88 years old at that time, and she's on Meridol. And we, I could tell, my family could tell when she had taken it because it was like sitting down with a person that had just smoked a joint. It was mm-hmm. later on the hospice doctor did say that. So she was always like stoned or whatever. And my mom kept complaining about sometimes she would have a little bit of leg pain, but she was never one to say like she had, you know, terrible pain or anything, but she was on some oxycodone at that time too. Anyway, um, let's get forward to later on in May. Um, my mom went through a bad period. She had a UTI, 
and hospice came in and put a catheter in her, even with a UTI. And um, so the hospice is prescribing all these drugs, and it seems like they will just give anybody anything that they ask for. She was put on Keflex for the um, UTI, which is an antibiotic, and I always thought she needed something a little bit stronger. But anyway, I in May 24, my mom had called me, like, that whole week, like, right before May 26th and said, you know, if you ever want to see me again, you should come see me because I think they're trying to kill me. Let me back up a little bit. In uh, November 2000, I'm sorry, we're November 2019, November 2018, See, my mom just asked hospice. The doctor came out with a six-month check, and she said, how much longer do I have to live? And he said, well, you have a good Thanksgiving, and you have a great Christmas, but I'm not so sure about Easter. Who tells mm-hmm. somebody that? I mean, right. so my mom's all worried about this. She's going to die by Easter. Well, that's what hospice had planned is her to die in that time. Because at that time, they then they stepped up the oxycotons to um, oxycodones. I'm sorry, to twelve a day. That's crazy. <laughs> twelve a day, okay. And she's 89 years old at this time. So um, and then uh, there was some extended release morphines in there too. Uh, and plus the other, my mom was on a short or a very small dose of Xanax because she had anxiety. Fast forward to May 26, I pick my mom up. I have no idea what's going on. It's like there's um, hospices there because there's a called a waiver program that you could in Michigan. I know of you can get uh, you can get these people to come into your house like aides, and the state will pay to keep your person your loved one out of a nursing home. They may give you four hours a week. They may give you something else. But anyway, at that time, my sibling was seeking to get the waiver program. And my mom just piped up because we had thought that's what my mom was going to agree with. And she says, well, I don't think I should stay here any longer. And I think I need to, you know, just go to a nursing home and all all this stuff. So anyway, um, my mom was going to go for that weekend. Uh, they were talking about putting her into a nursing home for respite care. That's where you get a rest if you're a caretaker. And I said, no, she's going to be 90 uh, over the, you know, pretty soon, and I'm going to take her home with me. The reason I hadn't taken her home with me was from there since all this had happened when she was calling me and I'd just go set with her if she had a catheter. And, and I'm 30 minutes away, and I'm not going to have my mom holding it, trying to hold a catheter on my way to my house. So I have to take the catheter out that day. Um, so my mom gets in my car, and she just starts. I've never... I never, I didn't expect it. I didn't know what to do because I never seen my mom like this. And she just started freaking out. She's like, "Don't start the car!" And I'm like, "What?" And she's like, "And she's like, don't start the car." They put a bomb in it. And she's like, "Going, just all the stuff." She's like telling me there's a bomb in my car. She's telling me that my car. They're going to tell me say that my car is stolen. I don't own my car. I'm going to jail. And all the stuff she had in her mind. I had to finally pull over and say, "Look." We're okay. Here's my registration. I own this car. I think there had been, I'm, I'm going to speculate, that there had been some talk or something. Where did she get this? I'm going to jail. But anyway, so um, she always wanted to come to my house. She loved it here. And she's like, no, we can't go there. And she's like, because there's bombs in there, it's going to blow up. And this is like my mother that's always like 
she's a no-nonsense woman, okay? And so I stopped at Taco Bell real quick, and I said, okay. And she's like, call your husband, you know, call your, call, she's telling me to call my son, tell him the police to be there. So anyway, I'm starting to come in the house. Fast forward, I get her in the house, and she's still, like, freaking out, but she's calming down a little bit. But for one week, she would not let us turn the lights off in this house or shut our bedroom doors. And um, so hospice was here one day because the medicine was all crazy, and I was going to make hospice do these pills and put them in this. It was a huge pill sorter. And there was a male nurse here, and he was one that couldn't talk and couldn't do things at the same time. But anyway, um, during that time, I said, I think my mom's dehydrated, you know. And he agreed with me that she was dehydrated. He said, well, I can offer you some sub-Q fluid. That's IV solution. And you can do these at home, and we can keep her here. I had had hospice out here in the night, too, and they tried to tell me she was transitioning, which means dying. And so anyway... My mom went in the bathroom, and she yells for me, and um, she said, okay, she can't breathe. So I said, I don't care what you're doing here, and I don't care who you are. My mom's going in an ambulance to the hospital. So he's chasing me around with this paperwork. He makes me revoke off hospice, obviously, because hospice would have to pay the bill if my mom went to the hospital and I didn't want to. So my mom, we get to the emergency room. My mom got there before me, and I got there. And a doctor came in, and he said, I believe your mom is hallucinating. And I said, well, I suspected that myself, but, you know, not a professional. And he said, I suspect your mom is hallucinating. She has a UTI, still has a UTI, and there's a large dose of drugs. And I said, yes. And so I went ahead and told him about the drugs, and um, he said, okay, your mom may never get over this incident because it was so traumatizing to her. She may get out, she may get over it, but she may never get over it because of the trauma that she dealt with. So we come and because back of all the after, drugs. Right. And we come home right. after the, and I had taken her off of everything. Mm-hmm. And we come home and um, things, she, you know, we've talked to her and she's, she's just feeling like, and we're, up and down about the nursing home, but my we look into it, and I find a nursing home, and it's kind of out of the way, but she went in there for respite care just to test, and she didn't like being there, but so I brought her to another nursing home she was transferred that was about 10 minutes away from my house, which was ideal for me because I could be there every day, and which I was every day almost for seven days a week for five to seven hours I spent with my mother. So, um, anyway, at that time, she's off of all the narcotics, even the Maritol she's off of. When she went in, I was a little bit worried about her appetite, and I asked the uh, physician's assistant, I said, well, you know, she was on this Maritol, but the hospice doesn't doesn't want to give it to her because he said it's like sitting down smoking a joint. That's what he told me, standing in my dining room. And she says, no, I never prescribed that for anybody. I've only prescribed it for this man that was in his 30s that had cancer. I said, okay, so it went with the flow. Um, so it was June 26th, my mom becomes a resident there, and she had a UTI for at least seven weeks. She had had that UTI. I mean, it just kept going and going and going. We had um, an okay time, and we had rather a good time 
because I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my mom because there's 600 miles different. So we were kind of making up for lost time of shopping and things like that. Well, um, Labor Day comes, my mom gets sick again, and um, she was just off and on kind of, you know, but she got sick, and um, she was running a fever, so it's a long story. But long story, what I'm getting at is a nurse, I finally asked the nurse after about six hours, I said, when is this doctor on call going to call back? And I'm standing out in the hallway, and the aide goes, who is your mother anyway? And I said, Maud Brush. She goes, and the nurse looks at me, she goes, oh, my God. She goes, no. And I said, what? And she goes, I thought you were so-and-so's daughter. And, you know, and she had come to find out she had given my mom's roommate my mom's medicine. And my mom was still laying there with a fever. Oh, so, yeah. you know, yeah, so um, I should have that just, I should have had all red flags since, you know, that started. But anyway, um, so... We had an okay time. My mom was very, everybody loved her. The nurses loved my mom. The aides loved my mom. My mom even knew housekeeping. My mom was like a fanatic about her house being clean. And my mom knew all the people in housekeeping because she loved them. And these people I didn't even know. And mom knew them, you know. Oh, Maud Frost, I just love her. So anyway, my mom was like go sit at the nurse's desk and watch the nurses. And she would never wait for the nurses to bring her medicine or anything. She would go get it. They were telling me all along then that my mom was too high-functioning. And if I, because I wanted to take her off hospice, and they kept saying, oh, no, she's too high-functioning. If you take her off hospice, we won't be able to keep her here because Medicaid won't keep her here. And she'll be kicked out because she's just too high-functioning. So anyway, uh, my mom's, had had some dentures made since she had been in Michigan, and somebody did them as a freebie. Um, and anyway, the teeth never fit. And my mom had, they were rubbing sores on my mom's mouth. I had to take her to a dentist. I didn't even know. I took my mom to a dentist and spent, I think it was almost $200 to have a root taken out that had been left there because she had dentures. Well, the, the nursing home is supposed to supply a dentist. I found out later they're supposed to buy a dentist, a podiatrist, and um, an optometrist, which my mom never got to see. And my mom was a diabetic and needed a podiatrist in the worst way. And so I walked in one day out of her room, and I was caught off guard because corporate was in there. And they were talking to my mom, and I'm like, and anyway, by that time I had become friends with some workers there, and they didn't feel my mom was being taken care of, and they just, like, rushed me in there. They were like, corporates, you're talking to your mom. So I go in there, and they tell me my mom, they think that my mom, my mom's having trouble eating at that time, and she had basically started becoming a picky eater where she loved the food. She told everybody, I love this food, I love this food, and she was really doing well there. But I tell you the change, and she knew it. They got a new kitchen manager, different food, and she knew it, and I couldn't. I tried to make it pretend like it didn't happen. But anyway, and her gums were hurting bad. She would take her teeth out all the time. And they had, they noticed the sores in her mouth, and they said, well, we think she stopped eating because of pain. Within 10 to 15 minutes, they had somebody go out to Walgreens or someplace and get my mom some war gel, and I can't remember what else they got her. And it was back there in 10 to 15 minutes. So I thought, well, these people, corporate, you know, 
they're on the ball. Well, later mm-hmm. I find out that this corporate that comes in is to basically tell the nursing home, this is what you're going to get in trouble with by the state. But we're here first. I found that out later on down the road. So nobody really so you don't cared. Think they were really, you don't think they were no. really concerned about your mom. It was kind of like a preliminary, we have to correct this before somebody else comes in and gives us a ding for it, right? Well, I was told that by the DON. The DON is the director of nursing, and she's second in command at the nursing home, okay? Besides okay. the administrator, she's it. Mm-hmm. And she told me, when I kept saying corporate, she goes, oh, they're like, they come in and tell us what we're going to get in trouble for. Because I kept wanting to talk to these two ladies because they seemed very nice. And I kept saying, okay, I want to talk to them. So anyway... I was advised that they're, yes, they're the ding before you get in trouble. And which I did call, I ended up calling the state of Michigan on the nursing home twice. And they did find violations there. They talked to me, the lady even talked to me from home. That's all a charade to me too. I mean, they found my mom's food sitting by the bed cold. Nobody, my mom uh, was, by that time, let me get back to this, she was, like sleeping through her meals because she was drugged out. So well, let's go into um, like October, October 30th. Things started really changing with my mom's appetite. And um, around that time, and I didn't know it, but I'm like, my mom was on a drug called Rimeron, and it, what it does is it helps you sleep, and it help, helps with your appetite. In fact, the doctor had said, I would rather use Rimeron, the hospital factor, I would rather use Rimeron as an uh, appetite stimulant than the Maridol. And my mom had been on the Rimeron. I think it's used as an antidepressant, too. She'd been on it for quite a few years. So, anyway... Um, I didn't know it had been discontinued at that time. We were trying to think of ideas of why my mom had stopped eating. Well, then the physician's assistant put my mom uh, on Merrill, okay? And I come in one day, and my mom had ate everything. From breakfast, she had been eating for lunch. I'm like, what is going on with her, you know? So the nurse calls me over, because we're like, we don't know. And my mom seems a little bit high to me because I'd seen it before. And she says, look at this. And I said, what is it? She told me to the screen, and she pronounced it wrong, so I didn't know what she was saying. She goes, she's on marrow. I go, really? I said, now I, and I told her the story, and I said, she said that she would not prescribe that because she doesn't prescribe it to anybody. She goes, she prescribes that all the time to people. Now, this is a nurse, an RN. No, I'm sorry, LPN. She said, she prescribes this all the time. So, I just said, okay, let's go with the flow and let mom, because she's eating at that time. And she's a little bit drugged up, but maybe she'll get, you know, used to it. And anyway, so I had kind of an argument with them because they were coming in, the nurses were coming in with the Marinol like an hour or two after after the lunch or after the dinner. And... Wait, she got it in, I'm sorry, she got it in the morning and she got it in the evening. 
they were coming in late with it anyway, and there was no food to eat, and then my mom would be hungry. And they were wanting me to bring her in food all the time, which I did, but, you know, it's like we were paying almost $10,000 a month to be there. So why? <laughs> so anyway, um, so the PA, I went in there one day, and my mom was so high. She was in this chair that uh, we had bought for her, and she couldn't even get out of it. And I got her in the chair. She had fallen, too. My mom had fallen three times in a 27-hour period on this drug because she was disoriented. And they wouldn't give her a wheelchair. I kept arguing with them about a wheelchair. They still had her on a walker, if you can believe that or not. And I kept saying, she's going to fall, she's going to fall. Well, there was things related to that. It was set up that she was going to fall, and this was just going to go downhill. Um, but anyway, I got her in, and I said, look at, look at this. And so she says, I said, what is the deal here? She goes, well, you wanted the marital doubled, didn't you? I said, I didn't want it doubled. I want you to tell them to give it to her an hour before the meal. Oh, well, there's a miscommunication here. And she blames it on the nurse. She had doubled it from 25 milligrams to 50. So anyway, I had to fight with them and fight with them. Is this in addition to the Remeron? They had taken her off the room around, and I didn't know it. Okay, it so she's not taking. To... So she's just on the Marinol. She's not taking morphine at that time. She's just on the Marinol. Right, Marinol, Xanax, and Lamotil. Lamotil is an antidepressant, but it's got a narcotic base. Okay. Okay, because okay. um, reading about the Remeron, it does cause dizziness, drowsiness, dry mouth, weakness, and increased hunger, you know, which you're trying to get her to eat. But the dizziness and drowsiness, you know, her falling may have been caused from that, but she wasn't on that at the time. Okay. No, my mom right. had been on Remeron for years, um, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, she had been on it for years. And it was just at nighttime, a small dose of it. It was just at night. But anyway, she was so. I wish I could. I wish I could show you, but she was just so high from the marinol that she was disoriented and she was falling. She was forgetting to take her walker with her. Like I found her outside of her room, and she didn't have a walker with her. Anyway, I kept saying, "Well, why don't you put her in a wheelchair? Why don't you put her in a wheelchair?" So I went through with that that wheelchair stuff for over a month of trying to get her. Still asking for a wheelchair into November 6th. So, um, let's see where I'm at now. So I asked them to discontinue the Maritol, and so they, she said every other day she would tirate it down. So they didn't give my mom the Maritol for, uh, it had been like, three or four days, and then I go in on a Saturday unexpectedly and find that they did give her the Ramaran that day, or not the Ramaran, I'm sorry, the Maritol, and she was all drugged up again. So then I said, okay, I was going to go to church, because our church um, had church on Saturday and Sunday, and we went on Saturday evenings. So anyway, um, I was going to go to church, but I just said, I can't leave her because of this. And the nurse kind of jokingly asked me, could you just spend the night tonight? Because I stayed there until 10 o'clock that night with Mom. And Mom just kind of slept. She was so drugged up. But anyway, 
I finally got him to get her off that. It was a constant battle with this nursing home. I just want to tell you that. Constant battle. And they always told me that hospice was, they drove the bus and hospice was the passenger on the bus. Hospice had no say-so over any medications at that time. But later on when they wanted to give her the other hard drugs, hospice had to give them to her. So anyway, it's kind of, it's just crazy because the nursing home had a big play in this too. So um, I finally got into disconnect that, just continue that. And in the meantime, my mom had, was still wanting to go to uh, rehab, okay? And uh-oh, I should back up to some of this. Um, when she was diagnosed with the blood clots in her legs, I had to I had to take my mom off Revoke Hospice back in uh, October because the nursing home had done some tests on my mom, and they even did uh, even did blood transfusions with her on hospice, and you're not supposed to receive any care like that. No. So yeah, so but she did. But anyway, um, so to take her to the vein specialist, they, they, I don't know how to explain this real quick, but hospice, because you are on hospice, and I, this is how I believe it works, you're getting the Medicare money, hospices, they have to pay for any doctor's appointments that you go to. Hospice would have to pay for it. Well, hospice doesn't want to pay that money, so they will revoke the patient for 24 hours. So it goes back to Medicare. You catch my drift? Like right, a right. lot of shame Manipulation of the money. Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, so and then the next day they'll come back in and spend uh, three hours, waste three hours of your time recertifying the patient. Well, the second time that happened, I said, you know what? If you're going to revoke her, I'm not getting anything from hospice anyway besides two showers and um, four packs of divers. They refused to give me any more briefs than four packs. I had to. It was constantly I had to go the nursing home. I made friends there, and she helped me out, the lady that distributed the briefs. And they wouldn't give me any more than that. That's what they allowed me to have. And I figured hospice at that time, and I may be off, but I figured they're getting roughly around $6,000 a month for that. So anyway, I said, if you're going to do that, I'm going to go with a different hospice or I'm just going to stay off hospice. So anyway, I fired them at that point in time to take my mom to the doctor. And I talked to the nursing home, and they said, let's try it without them. Let's try this without um, hospice. So anyway, my mom continued on this journey of her appetite going down, down, down. And I was in the DON's office. We had become what I thought friends. And she always wanted to know, said she wanted to know things. She didn't want to know, and she really didn't want to know. It came out in the end. But anyway, um, we were trying to figure out what went wrong. And we were sitting there one day, and ding, ding, ding. And this was like, um, by this time, she goes, look. She goes, she's been off the swim run since October 30th. That's when my mom started, her appetite went way down. Since October 30th, she had been off of that. And we're talking about we're into... We're into uh, November by then. And um, so we're into the, about the middle of November, and we figure out what's changed. And even the UN said, look, this is what's changed. 
the PA took her off of this, and we didn't know about it. I usually pulled med sheets to see what mom was on, but they cut me hopping, and I just had failed to see it. So anyway, um, around Thanksgiving 2019, see, I wasn't POA then. My son was POA, and he had been POA. I was second on the list, and he lived in um, a different state, and he had has a real demanding job, and he was in meetings and stuff, and they were always bugging him. And anyway, so we decided that we would that it would be better for me to be POA. In a way, I wish I didn't step into those shoes. Today, I regret it, but in a way, I don't because I wouldn't have wanted my son to have to live with what I have to live with. So anyway, um, I became the POA, and in and at that time, Thanksgiving last year, my back had, I have a bad back. I have some health conditions. And my back had went completely out on me. And I had been in the car accident. And um, anyway, my back was, I couldn't even get out of bed. So my son came into town, and they told him on November 27th that we needed to bring hospice back in or mom would have to have a feeding tube. Well, they knew mom didn't want a feeding tube because she had taken care of a patient with a feeding tube, and her um, living will um, advanced directive said she did not want to have a feeding tube. Then they said that when I kind of, like, blocked them, they said she was too too old to have a feeding tube. Well, a guy 95 up there just had a feeding tube put in two months ago. So anyway... Um, but my mom wouldn't have wanted it. So around that time, at the end of November, I started interviewing different hospices. Um, so, wait, no, my we put her back on, I'm sorry, we put her back on over Thanksgiving. In December, I started interviewing different hospices and um, seeing what they would say because I was, wasn't liking a lot of things that was going on. So about December 4th, my mom kept going, asking to go to the hospital. I wish I would have taken her. Somewhere in between there, I had taken her to urgent care twice. Um, but she had told me to take her to the hospital. And at this time, I'm still thinking they're doing a good job. Just I've got a lot of, like, little problems, you know, up there. Um, so then they came in. And this is where things really started to turn around, and I'm like, what is going on here? Because they kept my mom competent, and she, my mom was confused about medications a lot. She'd get really confused about medications. She was getting confused a lot. And they put a catheter in her. And she was screaming at them, crying, for them to call me and ask me what I thought about it. And the PA said, it's not up to Debbie, it's your decision. And I know this happened because my mom told me and her roommate told me mm-hmm. exactly what happened. They would not let my mom call me. And that's ridiculous so because they they are looking for their adult children to give input because they don't know, and I'm sure with all of the medication they were giving her, that she was very confused because of the medication, and that's why 
you need to be an advocate for your loved ones because they will just blow right across them, and they'll do that to us. But, you know, it's a little bit harder with us, not a whole lot, but a little bit harder. Right. But they wanted to keep her catheter because they wanted to keep me out of it. Why did they want to put a catheter in her? So she couldn't get up? No. Because she had a bed sore, and I had told them that she had a bed sore before it even got as big as it did. I mean, this bed sore was huge, and you've seen pictures of it. I have. And I it have. Was, it was terrible. And what what is, is that? What is putting a UTI on a UTI? What is putting a catheter in someone? How how does that help a bed sore? Then they're just going to be laying in their bed with a catheter. Otherwise, they get up and go to the bathroom, and getting out of the bed is a better thing than just laying in the bed. That right, makes but no by sense. This time she had become bedridden because she was because they wouldn't let her go to um, therapy, and because they were too lazy to be honest right. with you. That's exactly. why they put. I'm getting to that. They they whether you not think so or not, and I'm just going to bluntly say it. They will kill you. For having a bed sore mm-hmm. because a bed sore is dangerous to them. Right. And this was They'll a bad dinged. bed sore. Right. right. And they would mm-hmm. rather you die. My mom's a diabetic. Let's go back to that. They kept telling me the bed sore can't heal. Her foot, her, her foot by that time she had edemia so bad that it was swollen that it would break open. She can't heal from that. She doesn't get proper nutrition, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, they they put the catheter in with the, this is what their excuse was. I know what, why. Because sometimes they wouldn't change her for three hours. My mom went from a very independent woman to being having to have her briefs changed, okay? She didn't mm-hmm. like it. So they wanted to put the catheter in her because the bed sore and her front, her vaginal area had gotten so raw and sore from them not changing her that she was screaming in pain. Okay? That's just Because horrible. she was laying there. Yes. Yeah. And I knew she and laid there in it because I had witnessed it, and plus her roommate would call me every evening that it happened. Now, they use it. There is no, there is no excuse in treating our elderly people like they don't matter. Like they're useless, they don't matter. They do matter. They they right. live their they whole treat life. They treat like an animal. Worse than that. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's and wrong. Her, it was worse, worse than a taking your cat. So anyway, um, they that's why they cast her. Okay, and they had planned, I had asked questions about when's this catheter going to come out, when's the catheter going to come out. Because they made, catheters made me nervous with her because mm-hmm. I checked her, I checked her urine on my own. Okay, I bought a kit. Okay, and I would get, go get a clean hat and I would check my mom's urine. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I had, I had taken her to the um, urgent care because I check it. And um, at this, how am I going to check it with that in it, with a, a catheter in it? So anyway, um, 
I kept saying, when are you going to take it out? And I'd ask Costas, when are they going to take this out? They'll probably won't take it out. You know, they'll probably just leave it. I said, indefinitely? Yeah, they'll probably just leave it in. Well, then they started telling me my mom had terminal restlessness. Okay? My mom was bored. She laid there in that bed. She became institutionalized like she was, um, anyway, she was, she was bored and she was, and then I found out too, they, my mom was on a small dose of Xanax and somebody stepped that up when she got to Michigan a little bit. So then she was on 0.25 three times a day. Well, the nursing home decided that they didn't want to give her the Xanax after um, six months. That Ativan would be better. Well, I can tell you why. Now that I look at it, they set it up. And I said, no, the Ativan isn't going to cover the Xanax. And I have a a little bit of personal experience with that because I have post-traumatic stress disorder. And I went through that myself. I don't take anything now, but um, I know the Ativan will not cover Xanax. So December 30th, we're back on hospital, so let's get to that. December 30th, they take her off of Xanax just abruptly and put her on Ativan. Well, my mom starts having nervousness, okay, and she's screaming out. She's mainly screaming for me when I'm out there, Debbie, Debbie, Debbie. She starts hallucinating. Okay, I knew she was hallucinating because she was, like, accusing me of doing stuff, like saying I would spend the night at the nursing home and I wasn't coming into the Just crazy stuff. Okay, my mm-hmm. mom actually called the police on the, on the nursing home twice. She called them because they wouldn't give her any water. But and that now might that have I think been true. That, it was true because I... Right. I friended somebody there. She became my very dear friend, and she died two months from the date of my mother. And we, she had her right mind and everything. And she, she told me, yeah, they didn't give us any water this morning. And anyway, I became friends, really good friends with that lady. And so I've had two losses this year that have just ripped my heartstrings out. But anyway, and um, so I kept arguing with them, give her back her Xanax, you know, and I was – telling her but she give it back to her, you know, because she's screaming and she's having hallucinations and she just, you know, isn't doing good. So hospice told me, because this is another thing, they have been telling me since November that my mom was having terminal restlessness. If you know anything about that, terminal restlessness does not go on for months. Okay? It does not. not. It does what? It does not go on for months. Okay. Terminal restlessness is is before you die. Okay? You're going to die. And my mom was still eating and everything. And um, anyway, granted, my mom had stopped eating their food, but my mom was eating scrambled eggs all the time. my 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 mom had convinced herself that eggs... Her mother had told her when she was younger that if she would eat eggs, she would get strong. So my mom's diet was all scrambled eggs there for a while. Because she, was, she wasn't in her right mind because she was, of the Ativan was driving her crazy. It right, was driving right. her literally, literally insane. And I do have some backup coming I'm going to tell you about here in a few minutes. So even in December, I asked Costas, is she 
you know, she had a terminal restlessness, and they said no. They said no. They kept saying my mom was a fighter, and the hospice had told me this several times. She's not going out of this without a fight. She's not going out of this without a fight. And um, so anyway, go on, and I couldn't get them to change that medicine. Okay, I just could not. And the Rimeron was still gone. I had called an attorney, but the attorney told me to threaten them with adult protective services about the Rimeron. I finally did. I said, you got till 4 o'clock. I got tired of messing around with it. I got, you got till 4 o'clock to give my mom Rimeron, or I'm calling adult protective services. I didn't even realize adult protective services wouldn't have done anything anyway because they don't do anything. Anyway, they did give it to her, but then they used some excuse that my mom wouldn't take it. She refused. They would talk to my mom about medicine still. And I had had my mom deemed incompetent, by the way, so that they couldn't talk to her. That's the only reason I had them do it. And they still did it. They still talked to her. And um, they told me that she refused the Rimeron, uh, said she was adamant. This was in we're into January 17th, so she was adamant about not taking it. And I told mom, I said, you know, did you tell him you wouldn't take this? You need to take No, I didn't tell him that. And then a roommate told me, I'd have him off to different times, and the roommate would tell me something that, you know, like my mom had said. But the roommate had mental problems, so they, the nursing home would use that as an excuse. Like, you can't believe her, you know? But anyway, so... I started interviewing different hospices again, and I had an interview come to the nursing home because that's what hospices do. They come to the nursing home. Well, they knew that she came to the nursing home and come to find out, I know I'm not paranoid. I know for sure there's speakers on the wall, and they listen to things because that's I know that. So anyway, I was going to hire a different hospice. By that time, this was like um, into January, like the I think we're about January 20th somewhere that I'm demand, thinking about different hospitals. And I even thought about taking my mom back to Tennessee because I thought, what do we have to lose, you know, I mean, at this point in time. So, I mean, she was on uh, medications by then, like she was on pain medications because they had started it. Uh, I, they had started a North uh, hydrocodone, which is uh, pain medication. They had started that on her because... My mom was hallucinating off the Ativan, and they were trying to make it up that my mom was screaming in pain. So, anyway, they corner you to where they're like, she's in pain. What are you going to do about it? She's in pain. You know, you're not letting us treat this. And then, you know, mm-hmm. some of you got your family kind of coming at you, too. Um, so, anyway, and you're confused. I mean, when you're in this situation, nobody can be this sleep deprived and not be confused. Okay, when I look back at it and think, why didn't you just tell them this or this or this, you know? In my right mind, I would have done that, but they wore me down. They wore me down. Right. So, anyway, when I started, I had a hospice, okay, and then I said to something to the nurse home, I said, I'm going to get rid of this hospice and I'm going to bring this other hospice in because they told me that they wouldn't make my mom take these medications that her uh, living will says that she doesn't want to take. My mom never wanted to take morphine. Never. Yeah, mine either. She was afraid of it. 
So anyway, she had been given it a couple times, and she didn't like the feeling of it. And she was scared to death of morphine. And I had told her, gave her my word, she wouldn't have to. Well, that they did, they made that my living nightmare. So I told them, you know, I'm going to bring in this other hospital. Then they really started putting pressure on me. I mean, like pressure, pressure. My mom, they started, uh, they started drugging my mom, giving my mom these pills, like pain pills and stuff. It she would be sleeping through her meal. Well, then I called the state back again and I reported them, and they witnessed it. Nobody helping my mom eat or anything. And at that time, I wasn't. We're into winter, and I don't drive in the winter, so I'm considered. Um, disabled and handicapped and I could take the handicapped van and that's what I did every day I took the handicapped van from my house to there and then they would pick me up and um, so I decided that I had to I couldn't just go at any time of the day I had to go I did side winds the so I decided dinner time supper was the best time for her to get that last meal in so she could hold her over through the night so her sugar wouldn't drop so that was my Thing. So that's what I did. So they knew that from morning until noon, basically I wouldn't be there. But I had people telling me things, workers. And I even found my mom trying to nibble her finger. She was so drugged up and she was so hungry. She was nibbling at her fingers. That's just so horrible. Then, yep. And then... So they really stepped up the game when they found out I was going to bring in a different hospice. February 8th, my husband and I, we we've attended church in the evenings, and um, we were getting ready to go to church. And I, he went to the mailbox, and he brought in a letter, and it had a um, an attorney's name on the letter. This was a Saturday. I opened it. And Wednesday, they had mailed this. I had no clue. I was out. I was just shocked. They were trying to take guardianship of my mother, the nursing home, because they said that I was not letting her pain be treated adequately. Well, if you know anything about guardianship, what they do is they take the guardianship from the person, they eliminate you out of the picture, and they take whatever money. Exactly. My mom had no money but she had a prepaid funeral. They would have taken my mom's prepaid funeral and they would have cremated her. And my mom was very much against cremation. She did not want to be cremated. Well, the fact well, is, was, too, they were going, they wanted to get you out of the way because they wanted to drug her and you were standing in the way of letting them give her these narcotics and to kill her. You were standing exactly. in the way. Right. And they so they try, They send you a letter that they're going to guardianize your mother who you are trying to save and take care of. Right. And they've been trying to do this since May of the previous year, trying to get her out of the picture. And I was standing in their way. You're right. And I do think I fought a good fight up until the end, and I got so weak I didn't know what to do. So... All that weekend, I, I'm just going to tell you that I, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I believe 
of course, I believe in God. And I believe God brought this man to me. He was an attorney, but he wasn't, he was not an attorney that would go to court with you like this. He was um, a medical type of, like, what am I trying to say, Marsha? Like, if you've been injured, he was that type of attorney. But the man stayed up overnight and wrote a paper thinking I would have to represent myself in court. Because the court was Monday, okay? Monday, here it is Saturday, it's the weekend, and I've got until Monday at 2 o'clock. That's it. To go defend saving your mother. Mm-hmm. Right. And later on right. I find out they do this on purpose. They mail it so you get it on the weekend, and then it's a, you know. So a miracle happened, and this man had found this pro-life attorney in my town, and then I contacted you, and you mm-hmm. sent me over to um, Life Legal Defense, Defense Foundation. Okay. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they had come back, and I think they really could have helped me if I would have found you guys a week earlier. I think my mother's life could have been saved. Right, right. Uh, but I think but you anyway, had just joined our group at that time. Yes. Somehow right. I don't even know how I found you. I don't even remember, but I found you, and um, so anyway, I found this this attorney, and I hired him at eleven thirty on Monday, the February tenth. Okay, and we went into the courtroom. It took more of the judge's time than what they the judge even commented about it. There was five people against me. Everything that could have went wrong in that courtroom for their defense was, it was like, it was like a, I can't even, it was like a show. My husband, when we walked out of there, my husband was in tears. And he said, you never cease to amaze me, Debbie. And he said, I did not know. He didn't know. Things went so good, Marsha. I knew more than they knew. I knew about the drugs. I knew about the dates. I knew everything. The, mm-hmm. the nursing home knew nothing. The D.O.N. stumbled. She even stumbled going up to the stand. She kept calling the judge, judge. She didn't call him your honor. She forgot her computer. He allowed her to go out and get her computer. Then her computer wouldn't work. Everything. God just fell out of the courtroom. And she made fun of my mom and I on that stand, and she lost credibility. Because the attorney that I was working with said, do not lose credibility you will be in trouble. He had told me that all weekend, not the one I was working with, but the guy I friended. And I found him in your group somehow. And anyway, um, the, she made fun and said that Debbie has stated that if her mother dies, it's not going to be hospice doing or the nursing home, that she's just going to, she made motions up in the air like with her hands, like she's just going to go up, up, up. I just, I just, my heart kind of sunk at that point in time to think somebody would make fun of somebody's religion. But anyway, the judge turned around and he said, I'm not going to give you this. I'm not going to grant you this. This isn't some lady that just pulled up to the nursing home, dropped her mother off and said, hey, have a good life. He goes, no, she's there five to seven hours a day Mm -hmm. with her mother. She cares about her. And she said, you can't, you know, basically you can't take the only person that she has, my mom has, 
because they would have eliminated me, not let me visit her. And they had no grounds. They had no grounds to do that. Right. So at this time, I'm not even knowing that hospice knows about it. But, of course, I look back now, and, of course, they knew. And um, I have recordings because I recorded the nurse purposely um, of our talks after that. And she's like, oh, she's trying to pass me. Oh, just tell me what you believe in. Tell me that. And she says, well, the nursing home doesn't think we, the DON doesn't really think that we should be giving your mom drugs because your mom doesn't want any drugs because it was brought up in the courtroom. I said, I've been telling you that. I've been trying to tell you my mom doesn't want drugs. Well, what does she want? Does she just want to, I said, she just wants to, when she wants, when it's her turn to die, she wants to die. She doesn't mm-hmm. want anything to help her. She exactly. doesn't care if she. You know, she doesn't want it. And right. so then and it should they be her really... way. It, it should right. be every person should have the way to die the way they want to die and not have somebody hasten their death. How did we get this to a point in murder. life to where we think that hospice needs to kill everybody? How did we get there? How did money. we get to where yeah, money? How did because we get it costs where... money for your mom to be in the facility, and they are trying to save Medicare and Medicaid money so that they can, I don't know, give it to the people that are over here, maybe not legally, and because they are spreading it too thin and they're doing things with it that it was never intended to be done. These people, your mother, my mother, paid into Medicare. And other people, you know, I don't, I don't really know how Medicaid works, but they've paid in their life with Medicare, and then all of a sudden you're going to rip it out from under them and say, oh, no, you've used too much of this money, and so you have to die. And besides that, you're old and you are not contributing to society. And the fact exactly. is for the listeners that when I say that the baby boomers are next on the list, I mean that total sincerity and when they talk about changing the retirement age to 72 they're talking that so that you can continue to pay into social security and medicaid and medicare so that there would be more money in that but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to get to use it because it has been used for things that shouldn't be used for it's a contract they have broken the contract with the people and now they don't have the money, and they are trying to get rid of people. They're not trying. They are. They are euthanizing people every single day under the guise of compassionate care, and it, there's nothing compassionate about it, nothing. So um, so get, get, bring me down to, because uh, we're getting a little bit short on time, take me down to where they start giving your mom, because um, you and I talked on the phone I think on the 13th of February um, that you called me and we talked. Take me down that road where they have made the decision. This is after you've come back from the attorney. They did not take guardianship from you, but they continued to badger you that this is what we need to do. So the 13th where I had talked to you, they came back in there and um like we got to do this, we got to, you know, this. She's in pain. She's in pain. You know, we got to treat the pain. They just kept saying she's in pain, and they did 
keep doing the terminal turn on her. They kept turning they put, her they, on her they left moved side. moved on her left side? Mm-hmm. All yeah. the time. Yes. All the time. Yeah. And she would scream. Well, she's in pain. So then yeah, anyway, you just did it to her. Right. And they stepped it up and they brought the whole, they brought a doctor in, the, like the director of hospice. They bought him, another nurse, and mom's nurse that I was always butting heads with because I was keeping her from killing my mother. Um, but anyway, uh, they just cornered me. Um, they actually, just like they ambushed me. And I threw up my hands and I said, my sister was sitting in there, I said, you know, and I thought we were kind of on the same page that, you know, we weren't going to give mom any how at all or any let them get morphine because at that time they were had switched over the oxy to liquid, okay? And they were trying to use the excuse that the oxy had gotten to where it was uh, too much of a dose and she was starting to choke on it and stuff like that. Well, I did come in and I'd seen the, it, like the red all over my mom's face and I also witnessed, and I have pictures of it, of two fingerprints in her neck. Bruises. Holding her, probably. That's what I suspect now. For that medicine. But holding her my mom, to, to inject her or to put it in her they mouth. They didn't inject her. Yeah. They, but my mom fought them up until she could not fight anymore. My mom did not want that pain medication. Your mother my did mom not want be, to be murdered. No. My yeah. mom told me about a week before this, get me out of here, Debbie. They're going to kill me. Now I suspect that she heard him talking because she told me they tried to give me morphine today. And then the nurse told me, oh, we just misspoke. We misspoke. So anyway, um, let's go on. They started, uh, anyway, I left the room. I said, you make the decision. And I don't even know where it all went at that time, but somehow it ended up that she, you know, ended up on morphine. I called the attorney and I said, you know, what am I going to do? He said, well, you can be, you can fight him. We still had another court date in a month, okay? A you month. can fight him, but I, yeah, I have a feeling that in March we would have had a court date. I have a feeling that you might be standing in the courtroom with me when your mom dies. See, he, mm-hmm. he, they, he thought maybe my mom was dying too. So anyway, or they were going, he knew what they were going to do. And they would have tried to get, at that time, I don't even know where I was at in my head, but I kept thinking, I can't let them, what am I going to do, you know? And I just felt, I don't even know who I was at that time. And anyway, I they started giving my mom morphine. They wanted to put fentanyl patches on her with the morphine. I said, no way. Mm-hmm. The doctor said, we'll put a patch on her. I don't even know if they they might have done it. Because I did find, uh, I refused the hell at all. Uh, and then I said, then I had, they come around, they get you so bad, I don't even know where I was at, was like, she's hallucinating. You know, she needs this, she needs that. And I said, and it would have been suspositories at that time, I suspect. They put her on Benadryl, too, if you can believe that. They just put you on, put them on all these they drugs. They throw everything, that's right. They throw everything at you trying to hasten your death, just like the story, and you and I read this, I think you pointed it out, that one website or that Facebook group where they were trying to kill that guy and said that right. he just wouldn't die. What is wrong right. with people? 
because I do troll some of those hospice nursing groups. Um, I never have told them I'm a nurse. I would never make that statement, but they've let me in. And so um, without answering any questions, that is a public group. Well, anybody public, can get in that I, one. I haven't joined them, but I can go in there right. and look at it. Yeah. Right. Anybody can see that. And they're talking well, about murdering like, people. Our group, Murdered by Hospice, is a public group, but you have to join to make comments. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can see anyway, it because we want people to be able to find us, but you have to join to make comments. And we don't just let everybody in for obvious reasons because we've had some right. hospice nurses come in and attack us and tell us we don't know what we're talking about. Well, I can tell you something, and you can say it, and all of the members there, we've witnessed our loved ones being murdered. So do not tell us that we don't know what we're talking about because we saw it and we've seen the medical records, and the medical records prove it. It's just that the government does not want to admit it, and all of these little oversight organizations like Kepro and CAPR are absolutely worthless. Worthless. So my mom lasted seven long days, okay? So about the second day into this, a nurse stands at the end of the bed and says, that adamant was driving her crazy. She was making her hallucinate. I said, why didn't you speak up when I've been fighting them on this? Because I even talked about it in the courtroom. I'm going to get all the records, and I'll have it. And but anyway, in the meantime, my mom was fighting physically still not to take that morphine. She knew it was morphine. She knew mm-hmm. it because of the taste of it. And she was held down about the second day into this. She was physically held down by my sibling, held her arms down. And she talks about it to this day to family or whoever, her friends, because I don't talk to her anymore. But she says, talks about holding her down. She thinks she did so a that, justice. So that they I could don't murder her. It. That they could murder her mother. I mean, how do you live with yourself after that? How, how do you wake up each morning and look at yourself in the mirror and not realize that you killed your mom? You hastened your mother's death. And for she what? She convinced herself that she did good somehow. I don't know. I don't talk Angel to her. Angel of Mercy? Is that? But the, uh, the nurse yeah. looked at me, had a grimace look on her face. I'll never forget it. As she is with an administered morphine. She could lose her job for that if you were in the right place for no, letting somebody can't. hold me down. I know. If you were in the right place, I said. If, if yeah, things were as they should be, this wouldn't be right. happening. Right. Because my... So. So, um, so your mother on the 20th of February in 2020 took her last breath. Yes. And that's just so tragic. And, you know, uh, you know, it, that's why we try to reach people before they get into this situation so that when somebody mentions hospice, I run and if somebody, you know, if your person is in hospice and they start wanting to give a morphine, Ativan, Haldol, Seroquel, any of those drugs, or if you notice that they've taken a turn for the worse, if they're in a nursing home, it, 
trust your instincts. Get them out. Contact halovoice.org, or you can contact the phone number, one eight 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 two two one halo Life Legal Defense Foundation. Every state has a, like um, your state, Michigan, Michigan, Right to Life, Florida, Right to Life, et cetera. There are places that you can go that you can get pro-life people to help you. Do not allow your loved one to be murdered. It, it is important. And like Marcia says, please call HALO. Please yes. call one of these places. I volunteer um, for HALO now. There. Yeah, Debbie works with um, HALO and takes phone calls, um, as well as advocating for the elderly by visiting the nursing home. Um, that her mom was kept at. She still goes there on the outside because of the China virus. Um, And she's actually working with groups of people to mail Christmas cards to the people in these facilities. So there are things that you can do. Just step up and do something. But don't be quiet. If something has happened to your loved one and you know that they were murdered at hospice, speak up. Tell people. Warn them, because if you don't, they're going to go through what Debbie and I are telling you we went through, and thousands, millions of other people. And a lot of people don't even know that it happened to their loved ones. They are clueless, because like Debbie says, you don't know what's going on. You you know, you just, you're so engrossed in this and horrified by what you're seeing that, you just can't believe this is happening, and you try to save that person, but hospice is wonderful at manipulations. Check out Michelle Young Dewar's book, Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice, and you will see much more than what we've even touched on tonight. So, Debbie, I appreciate you coming on tonight and you know, telling your mama's story and hopefully it will resonate with somebody and they will not do what we did and stop it before it ever starts. Yeah, so, thank, thank you very you. much, Marcia. Thank, thank you. Thank you for sharing. And to all of our listeners, thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll be back on the 16th of December. So good night, Debbie, and I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Marcia. Okay, good night. <laughs> 